Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 41, a conversation with three Pennsylvanians, Kate Federoff with the Eastern Pennsylvania Alliance of Climbers, Ryan Shipp with the South Central Pennsylvania Climbers, and Joel Brady with the Southwestern Pennsylvania Climbers Coalition. Pennsylvania seems to fly a bit under the radar, but Kate, Ryan, and Joel will surely tell you that Pennsylvania has a ton of climbing and the bouldering is particularly special. They each share their own insights of what's going on in their respective part of the state. We begin first with Kate and talk about the origins of the Eastern PA Alliance of Climbers as they are a new organization that was born out of the pandemic. Some got pandemic puppies, others created new local climbing organizations to help care for and steward the local climbing areas. We also get into talking about how being in close proximity to several major metropolitan areas influenced the durability of their crags and boulders and how this may increase their opportunity to also connect with a diverse group of climbers. We then move a little bit further west over near Harrisburg and chat with Ryan about the South Central Pennsylvania climbers. We start off with an inspirational quote from Elder Leopold, and then we get into what's going on at the crags in his area and some more about the relationships with some of the landowners out there. Something that Ryan said that really struck me was some of the landowners noticed more impacts to the land when climbers weren't around. And I had to think about that for a second. There have been some changes in access over the years. Sometimes an area has been open, sometimes it's been closed. When it's been closed to climbers, more impacts were observed. And when it's been open to climbers, less impacts were observed. To me, that's indicative of climbers being good stewards and caretakers of the land that we recreate on and the landowners began to take notice. And I thought thought that was pretty cool to hear. Finally, we shift over to the Pittsburgh area, a little bit further west from Ryan, and chat with Joel about the Southwestern Pennsylvania Climbers Coalition. These guys are in the midst of dealing with some very large closures in their area, and that was a big topic of conversation as Joel talked us through how they are approaching that situation. We get into some other interesting topics as well, but I'll leave the rest for you all to listen to. Pennsylvania might not be on your radar, but I'm confident it will be now, not just in terms of the breadth of climbing that's in the state, but also the representation 
Pennsylvania Climbing has on behalf of these three organizations that are putting in the work to keep their climbing areas protected and cared for. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Kate Federolf, Ryan Shipp, and Joel Brady. We've reached a tipping point. Climbing has rocketed into the mainstream. The number of people, and not just climbers, recreating outside has exploded. The environmental impacts of overuse are widespread, and climate change threatens our beloved climbing areas. With so many threats to the land, our land managers are overwhelmed and under-resourced. And the easy answer is to just say no, to close the gate. Luckily, Access Fund has a plan, and there's something you can do right now to help. Access Fund is working urgently to shape a sustainable future of climbing, and REI has come forward to match all donations. So donate today at accessfund.org forward slash donate and double your contribution to fight for sustainable access and help us protect and conserve the land. That's accessfund.org forward slash D-O-N-A-T-E. A sustainable future for climbing is possible, and it starts with you. All right, well, right on. I am really excited for the opportunity to talk to you three about what you all have going on in Pennsylvania, because I think Pennsylvania is an area or region or state that probably deserves some more attention. As we were saying before we got on the call, uh, Kate and myself were talking about how awesome the bouldering is out there, and I just think Pennsylvania just doesn't get the attention it really deserves. So I'm so psyched to finally get uh, you guys on the show to talk about what you all have going on over in the kind of upper upper east coast area so i want to start with a few intros i got three guests on tonight i don't usually have three guests on so i'd love to learn a little bit more about yourselves uh, it's pretty rare that yeah i have this many guests so yeah let's uh let's jump in here with you kate um i'd love to hear about where you're based uh, are you a born and bred pennsylvanian and i would love to have you give us a snapshot into your personal climbing life Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, Peter. I'm super excited to talk about Pennsylvania. I'm from Quakertown, Pennsylvania, which is in Bucks County, um, two hours from the Gunks, about an hour from Philadelphia, two hours from New York. Um, love Pennsylvania climbing. Um, it's where I was born. It's where I still live. Um, I really decided I was a climber before I actually ever tried it. Um, I was doing a service project in Monument Valley, Utah, which ironically is an hour and a half south of Moab, but no, I never climbed there. Um, but I spent a lot of time backpacking, hiking, exploring canyons and cliff jumping. And um, the cliff jumping made me realize I liked the climbing up part more than the jumping down. So um, I get home to Pennsylvania and I call a gym and I say, um, can I come in and learn how to climb by myself or do I need someone to come with me? And they're like, no, you really need someone to come with you, which of course would never happen now. So I was a little disappointed, but eventually um, found someone that taught me how to set up a top rope and took me um, to a gym for the first time. And I was totally hooked. Um, then, you know, a year or so later, I met my husband who luckily was also a climber and we've really made a love it, um, made a life of it. Um, you know, the people, the places, fell in love with local bouldering, fell in love with rope climbing in the gunks, love traveling. Recently, I've gotten into sport climbing. I never really thought that was going to happen, but I think my love of projecting things really won. So I really love the red and the new. So uh, I guess basically I love any kind of climbing that doesn't involve snow or ice, but my heart, <laughs> <laughs> my heart, like I'll always be a boulder, but I really do love it all. Yeah. 
Nice. How about plugging any gear? Are you into that at all? Yeah, I am. Not as much as sport climbing these days, though. Like I, yeah, but uh, bouldering is my favorite. Um, definitely have some history in trad climbing too. You know, spending a lot of time out in the Sierras. Yeah, but bouldering. <laughs> bouldering. Yeah. That's where it's at. Uh-huh. For sure. <laughs> awesome. Right on, Ryan. How about yourself? Hey, uh, Peter. Hey, hello, everybody. Thanks for having us. Uh, this is pretty awesome to be able to talk about Pennsylvania. Um, I'm based in South Central Pennsylvania, and my name is Ryan Ship. I'm uh, born and raised in Harrisburg area, Pennsylvania, and I didn't start climbing until I was 21. Uh, I found climbing through actually my sister's boyfriend, and he was climbing at Mount Gretna, which is a little area also known as Governor Dick, and it was in its early stages of being developed as a bouldering area. All, all the first ascensionists were going out and just like bushwhacking through the woods and doing first ascents. And uh, that was kind of my first experience with rock climbing. I remember I put some uh, Boreal aces on my feet that were about three sizes too small. And I like just stuffed my feet in there. And my buddy Joel uh, talked me up through this boulder problem. And from that day, I've been like completely hooked. And uh, the following weekend went out to the gunks and and that's kind of like the you know the beginning of the story and then i just kind of continued to climb and focused on bouldering primarily in pennsylvania because uh most of the bouldering is the best you know that's the best stone really throughout the state um and then i found a passion for the rope once i started traveling more and i started to get inspired by you know the cliffs at the new river gorge or the red river gorge and and kind of beyond uh, gunks and the dax and all that so that kind of led me into my job yeah so i like, kind of directed my my career too so uh, i became an amga instructor and just have been uh, sharing my passion for the sport with others and been teaching and climbing for 20 years now nice nice yeah i saw your uh, spi certified i believe and cwi i think and uh yeah how far along are you in the in like the rock uh rock guide well, I just took my uh, MPI exam this past fall and past. So that's the multi-pitch, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the new multi-pitch, which is kind of like replaced the rock instructor. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm still going to pursue my rock guide. Uh, I just love uh, the professional development. I love getting up high. Like I was just out in Red Rocks, uh, Red Rock about two weeks ago, and uh, was I'm just amped about climbing bigger things uh and small rocks still too i kind of have it all so i just need more time <laughs> yeah so sure cool well yeah i was like i guided uh rock as a rock guide for five years um i have since moved on but yeah it's, it's kind of caught my attention that you're pursuing the amga track uh all right joel uh how about yourself Hey, Peter, appreciate you having us on. Um, and I, like Kate and Ryan, I'm really excited to talk about PA climbing. It is a hidden gem, I think. Um, so I started climbing uh, maybe, I don't know, it's like 27, 28 years ago now uh, when I was 14. Uh, I started climbing at church camp in a little crag that no one would really know about except this church camp probably in southwestern PA. Um, I'm from Georgia and Tennessee originally, but I grew up around here in Pennsylvania and went to elementary school here and uh, climbed at a couple of other uh, little crags in southwestern PA and really took to climbing. Um, But back then in the mid-90s, 
the received wisdom on this side of the state was that like there's some decent top roping in PA, but if you really want to do some serious climbing, you go to Seneca or the new or the red, which are all, you know, more than four hours from Pittsburgh. Um, and that's what I did. I spent a lot of time mainly at the new, uh, and really never looked back for a long time, just, uh, climbing at the new, if I was going to climb seriously and climbing at the gym, if I was going to stay local. Uh, and then I moved away, uh, went, traveled a lot, uh, climbed in the South, a bunch, bouldered a bunch in the South. I lived in Salt Lake for a year and climbed a bunch out there and little cottonwood and American fork and Ibex and maple Canyon, all that. Uh, and then moved back. Uh, actually I went to Boston for a while and climbed a bunch up in Boston area and then moved back for graduate school in the mid two thousands. And right around then there were some people who had been doing some serious bouldering development in Southwestern PA on all of these rocks that were always, always there, but I just was unfamiliar with them. Didn't know that they were out there. And those people, you know, sent me an invite to come on out and it really opened up quite a new world for me for climbing. There are, I mean, I don't even know if I should say how many hundreds of boulder fields there are just on the Western side of the state. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot and it's very, very high quality bullet, bullet sandstone. Um, there's a lot of diversity of rock type across the state. Uh, we have that. It's not, I think it's probably not a technical geological term, but people always talk about gritstone. Um, and if you think about the famous gritstone in England, it's a similar, uh, kind of texture around here. Fantastic, fantastic bouldering. Um, and I've spent, uh, since I suppose about 2005 or so, most of my time bouldering in, in Pennsylvania and doing hardly any comparatively roped climbing and far fewer trips to places like the new and the red and Seneca, although I still do enjoy going to those, uh, places that's worked out really well for me. I have a bunch of kids. I've got four kids. And so having really good bouldering close to home has been really nice, both for the commute and it's easier to babysit from, you know, five feet off the ground than it is from 50 feet off the ground. Uh, when I do get on a rope, it's a lot of me yelling down from the eighth bolt or whatever. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, the, I can't say enough about how good the bouldering is in Pennsylvania. And I feel really blessed to, uh, live among these, these rocks. Awesome, man. Yeah. You guys are speaking so passionate about this bouldering. I, I'm not a huge boulderer myself, but I certainly enjoy it. And hopefully the access fund, maybe we'll get a event or something out there and I can find an excuse to get up to Pennsylvania. My sister lives in Rhode Island, so I can, I don't know, try to connect the dots there a little bit. So let's, uh, let's jump in here. I mean, despite, Pennsylvania kind of getting overlooked. So it's, we're now uh, very much establishing that Pennsylvania has a ton of climbing. And with that comes the need for organization. And that's why all three of you are on tonight because you all represent three respective local climbing organizations for the state, which is, which is so awesome. We're going to kind of move east to west here and start with Kate and her affiliation with the Eastern Pennsylvania Alliance of Climbers, which is close to not too far from Philadelphia on the eastern side of the state. So Kate, I saw on the website that, quote, it took a global pandemic to afford <laughs> us the time to bring our passions together. 
end quote. And I'm curious <laughs> if that makes the EPA, the EPAC a newer organization, and if you could elaborate a little bit more for us on what brought these passions together. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, we are the newest of the three by far. Um, we were born out of the pandemic. It's funny, like after climbing for more than 20 years, I always kind of wondered what I would do if I climbed a little bit less. And, you know, during the pandemic with less traveling and whatnot, um, we really had a bit more time. And Dana Cracciola, who um, is our treasurer and um, access fund liaison, she's the one that kind of dreamed it up. So she gathered 10 people um, and we decided to make a group. And it's really been a crash course since then, you know, figuring out why we should be a nonprofit and how to start a nonprofit and how to form a board and writing a mission statement. Um, and it's been really, really exciting. Um, I've, I've been a climber, but I've never had a role like this. And it's given me such an appreciation um, and so much respect for all the work that, um, you know, Joel and Ship and all the LCOs across the country have been doing. That's great. And I, I helped found the, uh, the LCO in my area in southwestern Colorado as well. And I could not agree more. It provides a great perspective on what the Access Fund does, what these other LCOs do across the country. I mean, I think the climbing environment would look so radically different if these organizations did not exist. Absolutely. Um, and I have to say that um, both Joel and Ryan have been so, were so helpful um, to me getting started. Um, both SWPAC and um, SCPC basically just shared everything they've done. We had phone conversations and they were just really helpful getting us on board. And I did really appreciate that. Did you guys jump right into being like a, a certified 501c3? Like for myself, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Gunnison Valley Climbers is the organization in my region. Um, we started off just as a charitable organization with the state of Colorado. And now we're like like seven years later, now we're talking about being a 501c3. How did that uh, formation go for you guys? Um, it was hard work. <laughs> it was a lot of paperwork, um, but we did kind of move through as quickly as we could um, in our first year with it. Um, we were super lucky. We had a wonderful um, climber slash lawyer help us. Um, so that really was instrumental in helping get that done. But yeah, so that was wonderful. And you know, when we first talked about forming a group, I didn't really realize everything that was involved, but I realized forming a nonprofit was so important just to make sure that the organization survived us, like when we moved on. Um, so I, I really started trying to think about the big picture and, and making sure that EPAC is always around. What was like the low hanging fruit for you all? Did you have things identified like, hey, we, this needs to be fixed. We need to address that. We need to start connecting with land managers. What was uh, what were those first couple steps looking looking like for you? Well, we've, we've really hit the, the ground running with, um, I guess, a, some, <laughs> some pretty spicy issues in terms of um, access needing to be protected. Um, that are still pretty fluid. We're going to have some pretty exciting um, news coming up soon. Um, but but some of the hardest parts to navigate, I think, have been kind of the spider web of land managers and how so many climbing areas do have multiple land managers and working with that. Um, but I, I think a lot of what we really started with um, are projects that current board members of EPAC have been working on forever like so many stewardship projects, trail work, um, graffiti cleanup is huge here, trash pickup. And, and really it just helped give people 
um, support with the whole organization. So we've really started kind of building on what a lot of people that are part of EPAC now have been doing kind of in isolation. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So it kind of came, came a little bit more formal, I suppose. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, any, any federal land managers with you guys? Federal? No, I'm going to say no. But if Ryan and Joel know differently, they should jump in. But to me, we just work at state level. Yeah, and that's kind of the trend I see talking to other folks on the mm-hmm. East Coast. You know, I've talked to folks in New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, I mean, Kentucky, uh, Southeast, Midwest, East Coast. They're like in this kind of hybrid spot, but so much of it is like private land or state land. Yeah. And I want to get into that a little bit with Joel a little later mm-hmm. about about uh, state lands and things. But yeah, that's um, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Any what, what area, you guys have so many areas, crags and boulders that you look after that kind of falls under your jurisdiction, so to speak. Yeah. Is there a particular area or two that requires most of your attention? Um, well, some of the areas, um, well, High Rocks is actually an area that has really taken a lot of our attention. Um, it's one of those areas that have gotten overrun during um, COVID, basically, when everyone's gone outdoors. So it's not just rock climbers, it's hikers and families Um, But, you know, some exciting works happened there, working with local land managers, expanding. There's a a project going on to expand parking and make um, bathroom facilities. So that's super exciting. Um, But some of the projects we're working on are projects that we're trying to secure legitimate access for to protect for the future. Yeah. So that's working with kind of combinations of land managers and trying to make a plan moving forward. Okay. I'm curious how you might handle the influence of being in close proximity to major metropolitan areas like Philly. That's, I think, like just over an hour away. New York City is about two hours away. And in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, I was looking at a map today. I was like, oh, wow, Trenton's so close to, yeah. to kind of where you are as well, under an hour. So I'm wondering how that population might influence um your crags and if you're having to make regular improvements to your areas or do you feel like you have the existing strong infrastructure to handle that kind of traffic? Sure. Yeah. Kind of like I just mentioned, like some of our areas have been getting pretty overrun recently and have been needing improvements. Um, But a lot of our areas, despite how close we sound to um, kind of city centers are really, really rural. Um, Like if you go just, you know, some of our areas are over 100 miles um, up onto either like state game land or just really very rural areas. So a lot of the work we actually do are more like trash and spray paint and and things like that. Continuous annual stewardship projects. Um, Yeah, so we do have some like Philly bouldering, but a lot of our work is kind of going into areas further out that are a little bit more traveled. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a great combination. Yeah, it's really an interesting combination. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, New York's got good urban bouldering. Um, does Boston? I feel like I've seen that being Boston. Really yeah, when I was living in Boston, uh, the North Shore of Boston, which is out of the city center, is probably like you can be there in 45, 50 minutes. I lived on the North Shore and it is full of fantastic granite bouldering up there. Yeah, although it was relatively little known when I lived up there. It was mostly people who sort of lived right there. Um, I can't say what it's like these days. That was 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, there's 
I'll just say as a blanket state, there's just climbing everywhere in this country. I mean, except for like Louisiana and like Florida, but I mean, there's, there's climbing in, in Iowa and Nebraska. It's, it's everywhere. Do you feel, do you feel any influence, Joel, being so close to Pittsburgh? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people who are out in these climbing areas, which are all about somewhere between let's say 50 minutes to an hour and 45 minutes from Pittsburgh proper. The majority of the people who frequent those areas are from the Pittsburgh metro region. Uh, of course, there's quite a few people who are from those areas who also climb out that way, but the largest numbers come from the vicinity of Pittsburgh. Uh, and we have definitely seen a significant uptick over the last really over the last five, six years. Uh, prior to that, we had really just one climbing gym in the city plus another one north of the city. And they both just celebrated their 25th anniversary. So they're pretty old school gyms. Uh, and then we got, uh, we now have three new gyms plus uh, a fourth one that's opening that are, you know, modern commercial gyms and the popularity of uh, climbing that has uh, exploded across the country is reflected here in Pittsburgh too. So there's definitely been a um, significant uptick in climber traffic. Um, and we have seen, there are a couple of areas in particular that uh, probably see a little bit more traffic than they should. And that has uh, quite frankly created a couple of issues that, that we have to deal with. Um, and one other point, just to go back to the point about uh, state uh, and private land managers. We do have uh, at least one uh, that I know of uh, federally managed region. It's the Allegheny National Forest. Uh, and uh, that uh, the Allegheny National Forest is on the northwestern side of the state. So it's of the three coalitions that are access fund affiliated. We're the closest um, in southwestern PA. Um, although that region, if, if there ever are uh, issues that arise. We have some climbers up that way who may reach out to us, but it falls a little bit out of our uh, immediate purview. Uh, and also there don't appear to have been major, major issues yet, but um, that's something we uh, have to keep in mind. It's a little bit akin to um, the the Morgantown region, which the, the climbing in Morgantown, West Virginia, just across the state line is all the same band of rocks that we have in southwestern PA, but it's just arbitrarily separated by that state line. Uh, for a while, there was no coalition there, and some uh, people from that region were sort of looking to us, since we had been around for a little bit, to take that on, and we really had too much on our plate with southwestern PA, and then they formed their own uh, coalition. There's now a Cheat Canyon Climbers Coalition based out of Morgantown, um, and it's you know, possible that something like that could happen in the northwestern part of the state too we'll we'll see cool all right well th yeah thanks for that info and i was going to mention you know paul garino and his team at ascend i'm sure those are the gyms those modern gyms you're speaking of i know they're crushing it i feel like they're opening a new location like every month yeah and we've got <laughs> yeah icb the uh the iron city boulders and first ascent just moved into town um so there's yeah quite a diversity of of climbing gyms now in the city which is quite strange to me having grown up here really with not a ton of options yeah i remember paul i, I interviewed paul like two years ago for the show and he i think he mentioned something about uh an out like an outdoor 
gym down by a bridge or the, the river or something, one of the three rivers, or is that, does that ring a bell? Does that sound right? Uh, I mean, he might be referring, so there's a lot of urban climbing on actual bridges. Uh, so yeah, totally. Yeah. Bridges and trestles. Uh, there's a lot of quarried stone uh, that climbers have climbed on really since, I mean, as far back as the 1970s, maybe. And a number of them are actually like fully equipped lead routes. Um, and that's a, that's a whole uh, sub project of ours. We have a, a subcommittee called Climb Pittsburgh that is working with the uh, city of Pittsburgh directly and their uh, parks and rec team and a couple of other agencies to have formal legal permission for climbing in, in areas like that. All right. Yeah, that's, that's very unique. I haven't heard of that anywhere else either. Well, uh, there's the one, if you're looking for precedents, the Maple Bridge out near Smith Rock is an example of uh, that's actually a the climbing holds are bolted right onto the arch of this of this bridge, and there's another uh, there's a the Manchester Bridge in Richmond, Virginia, and there's another example of this in uh, I want to say Cleveland. I, it's escaping me right now. It does exist out there, but it's pretty unique. Okay, gotcha. Right on. Well, Kate or, or Joel or both of you, whoever wants to jump on this question, I'd love to hear from you both. But just being so close to these city centers, and I've seen big strides being taken by the Bay Area Climbers Coalition out by San Francisco to connect with uh, diverse climbers, a diverse demographic of climbers. And I was wondering if you all see an opportunity to connect with diverse de- demographics being so close to these major, major metropolitan areas. Uh, when we started EPAC, that's something that we've definitely be really, been really passionate about. Um, it's actually one of the reasons I wanted to take on this role. Um, if it's, it's something we've been working toward, um, we've really been trying to connect and support different parts of our community. Um, we started a, a statewide network to, to discuss diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, but it hasn't been easy. And I feel like we kind of started off incorrectly and we had a big learning moment. Um, when we, when we started EPAC, we had a community meeting and we basically invited everybody and said, please come join us. Um, and we really learned that what we should be doing is going out into the community and saying, how can we support you? Um, so we've really changed our approach. Um, we've been really trying to meet and have discussions, just really have great communication with people and, and figuring out what we can do to support and lift people. Um, we've been hosting game nights at different gyms and we've just kind of started approaching it differently. So of course we feel like there's so much opportunity, um, but there's still so much space for us to, to learn and grow. Um, and it's something I continue to be excited about and hope to do better. Um, we really started EPAC with the goal of making as diverse a board as possible. Um, and that's still something we're working toward, but absolutely the opportunity is there. And that's one of the really exciting things I think about our region. That's awesome. Have you, what was, what's that turn up? I like at the game nights. It's been fun. The first one was huge. They've been really big. They've been different. I think, um, because some of our gyms, you know, when, um, Joel was talking about gyms, I was trying to count how many gyms we have here in our region. We have at least 15, like there's just so many gyms. So I think that, um, you know, it kind of depends on which gym and some of the new ones, because when we first started game nights, I think they're a little bit more popular, but they're so fun. You know, it's just a way to kind of meet people we don't know and ask what people are interested in and get a lot of feedback. And it's been really 
um, interesting what people are interested in. Um, and one of the big ones is learning how to climb outside. So when we're working in gyms and doing these game nights, um, that's one of the things people have been asking for. And one of the things we're just about to get started with is our gym to Craig. We've been working on creating one. So we're excited about that and hoping it'll give a lot of opportunities to people who are excited to explore climbing outside. Yeah, of course. That's the that's the sustainable way to do it. I was curious what kind of gyms or excuse me, what kind of games are you all playing at the gyms? Oh my gosh. Okay. So the most popular one is using a tin deck. Have you used that before? It's it's Bluetooth and it measures how hard you're pulling. So we have oh. like a partner tin deck pull where you sit with it between you and you each have a 20 mil edge and like you pull or you use a bigger one. So that's one of them. Um, my husband basically made up the games. They're super fun. <laughs> Another is a small wooden box that you have to mantle on top of. It's like a one foot by one and a half foot box or mm. um, like blind stick clipping with a partner. Just like super goofy things to get people having fun, climbing bingo, climbing trivia, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> cool. Yeah, all right. It's super fun. Well, what's on the agenda for the rest of the year for, for EPAC? What do you all have going on? Uh, is, you know, game nights, stewardship projects, um, yeah, working, just building up your LCO. What, what do you have yeah. all on the docket for the Yeah, so the rest we're, of the year? we are really trying to grow our board, um, create our, like, as, as efficient a structure as possible because we've really been learning how to balance our professions and home life with an LCO. And we've realized that when you have a, a group of passionate people, it's hard to strike that balance. Um, but we really want to continue collaborating across the state. Some of my favorite things that we've done over the last year have been working with the other LCOs. Jim DeCraig, I mentioned, um, continue pursuing um, the idea of being listed as a recognized activity. Um, with our Department of Conservation National Resources. That's something we've kind of been working together as a state. And as I kind of vaguely mentioned earlier, really working towards securing some permanent access for a couple different climbing areas that we're working on, um, securing parking, uh, making plans to address user impact. Um, yeah, and just really continuing um, building on our mission of educating community and stewardship. So a lot, a lot, to, a lot to be excited about. That's super exciting. I was, uh, yeah, I, 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 I can feel your excitement, and I, I share your excitement. I know how that feels getting you know, getting LCO off the ground and being so new and fresh, and the excitement's there. So I hope it, I hope it just keeps going. Absolutely, um, thank you. Yeah, another LCO on the list is, is never a bad thing. So yeah, um, I'm psyched for you guys, and I'm proud of you guys, and just yeah, just keep it going. I still can't get over that you all have 15 gyms. I mean, I guess Philly is like. <laughs> five times the population of Pittsburgh, which sort of no, the math works out. But I, I mean, no. I knew it was a lot. I just had no idea it was 15. Not just Philadelphia, though. So if, you know, all the way from Philadelphia up through Doylestown, like up into the northern areas, I'm estimating, though, maybe it's a dozen. I'll count when you're talking. Well, thanks, Kate. I appreciate your insight. So, yeah, let's, let's move a little bit further west to south central Pennsylvania and talk to Ryan slash ship uh you know you go by your first name and your last name so right i want to i want to start off with you just a little bit differently than i started off with kate and began sure. um, with a little bit of a philosoph philosophical question before we get into the nitty-gritty of the scpc 
And I want to, I'm going to start with this quote from Elder Leopold that you all have on the website. And it goes, quote, conservation is a state of harmony between people and land, end quote. I'm curious, how do you apply Leopold's ethos to caring for the climbing resources in South Central Pennsylvania? I think the biggest the biggest thing that we do is that uh, we're just being good stewards ourselves and modeling best practices as climbers when when we head out um, to our areas, whether we're bouldering, uh, track climbing, sport climbing, uh, and whatever have you. And then on top of that, it's uh, just trying to educate our community about what what are the situations that each area is dealing with. What are the land managers' requests? Uh, how are we caring for the other species and and um, living things at our climbing areas and just educating the the public? Uh, as we've already talked about, all these climbing gyms uh, expanding, education has been uh, probably one of the most important things that I think LCOs are doing out there and uh, just helping helping to just pave the pave the way for a bright future here uh, for our sport and. Um, and all of our climbing areas to keep them open and, and uh, fun for everybody in the future. Love it. How long has the South Central Pennsylvania climbers, is it, is it a co, is it coalition or just South Central Pennsylvania climbers? It's just South Central Pennsylvania climbers. Um, we, we were a little thrown off by what we should call it. Um, so we have a little bit deeper roots here. Uh, the first LCO in the state, I think, was the Pennsylvania Alliance of Climbers, which started in the early 2000s. And they they were called the Pennsylvania Alliance of Climbers, but they ended up just focusing on one little climbing area called Governor Stable, uh, which is on private land. And climbers have been trying to keep that private land open for bouldering since about the year 2000, uh, or in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's kind of been off and on, open and closed, depending on the landowner's uh, decisions about how we, um, if they want to lease the land each year, and uh, if climbers are kind of being respectful of, of the lease and, and all the rules and things like that. So, so the PAC was around for a while. And then in, I believe, 2008, kind of shut down because the Governor Stable bouldering area shut down for several years and uh and then it just kind of like sat and i think that the lco and the volunteers were just kind of burnt out it was a lot of work and and uh they just kind of let uh PA, the pac settle and rest um so the landowners approached the volunteers later on and a new organization was created and they called it the Friends of GS, so the Friends of Governor Stable, uh, because they were only focusing on one area. So the Friends of GS ran from about 2011 uh, on to about 2014. But they started, and that was about the time that I started to get involved, right in the be- in between the PAC and the Friends of GS. And the PAC had struggles because they weren't approved as a nonprofit. And it was be- mm. and it was because everything that we were doing was benefiting one landowner. So we really ran. It was kind of crazy because we were re- operating as a nonprofit powered by volunteers. But then uh, the government kind of hit us with taxes and said, hey, well, you're not approved as a nonprofit. And guess what? Here's like three years of back taxes. Oh, and, no. And uh, so we had to like get 
like lawyers and all this stuff. And it was just like a huge headache. So my buddies, um, they were pretty burnt out <laughs> from that. And, uh, and then we had to just had to make a decision. What are we going to do? We're going to start a new organization. And I was just a volunteer, uh, like on the side, I was a part of the board, but I wasn't uh, president or anything at that time. And we had to make a decision on whether we would pass GS, uh, Governor Stable, to like the mid-Atlantic climbers because they were really established in the area uh, based out of the D.C. area. And those guys were always crushing it and um, just good people. Or should we expand our, our mission? And uh, the Access Fund really helped us out with this where where we, we were able to get a grant. And um, I was guiding at a school locally and taking kids to all these other small crags and bouldering at these other areas and saw a need for more, um, more stewardship. So, uh, my buddy Adam Hartman and I decided like, all right, well, let's broaden our mission and we'll do this South central PA thing. And we called it that because we were like, all right, let's only go within two hours, no more than two <laughs> hours or we're going to get totally burnt out, man. It's going to be too much work for us. And, uh, and even within two hours, it's a lot of work, but, um, but we're psyched. So we started that up in 2015 with the help of access fund. And, um, we've just, uh, it's just really expanded and our community has been so supportive and, uh, it's, it's been awesome since we've just been really, uh, evolving. So that's where we're at. That's kind of the long, long story short, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. I love all the, uh, the details. I want to back up a little bit. You said something that sparked my curiosity. And I think it was going back to when governors, uh, governor, the governor's stable closed. Mm -hmm. And then later on, the landowner approached the volunteers. Did mm -hmm. I hear that correctly? Yes. Yep. So is he was he or she was interested in getting it back open what did that uh what do those conversations look like yeah so i wasn't a part of that early conversation but i did i do i was close with the um the former president and, and his story kind of goes um like the landowners just reached out after three years because it was quiet and maybe they they missed having a couple thousand dollars just sent to them from climbers each year <laughs> sure. uh, so and and i think that they also have always appreciated us as climbers uh, being on the land because we are stewards they they go out they're hunters and they close the land during the fall but when they okay. go out there they never see any trash or graffiti and things like that and i think during that closure they started to see a little bit of that come back where where people were going in and, and um, partying and kind of trashing the place a little bit because the climbers weren't there so they they recognize yeah, they recognize that the climbers have, um, we care for, I mean, we're out there scrubbing the chalk off the holds, like, you know, looking at, at the rocks in meticulous detail and, and we, yeah. we do everything we can to keep our trails nice and, and, uh, and all that. So. I would just second, we've seen that in a couple of places with different land managers and owners, both state agencies and private, uh, private landowners, the, um, idea that, uh, climbers and a climber presence, a responsible climber presence, uh, keeps down some of that, uh, ex you know, extraneous activity and the the partying and the graffiti and leaving trash and beer bottles and stuff like that. Cause that's not, uh, typically what climbers are out there to do. Yeah. And I think that that's like awesome that we are starting to get that reputation across the nation, uh, and hopefully the world, but, uh, 
on a national standard, I think that there's a lot of um, land managers that are learning that climbers are a good user group. Um, yeah. So for the most part, and as that's where the education and, and all that comes in with the gyms and LCOs uh, for the future. So we can keep that reputation going. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, the educational efforts and how you, how you see, how you seen that impact the, the quality of the experience and the land itself and the resources themselves when people go out there. And I think you, you already explained that, that <laughs> the education has paid off and we are proving ourselves as, as good stewards. Yeah, for sure. And you also have a bunch of climbing areas under your jurisdiction, just like Kate does at EPAC. And you mentioned that, like, you know, we're going to put a two-hour buffer around where we are. And you're like, oh, my God, wait, there's a ton. There's, there is already a ton within two hours. So, uh, yeah, just like I asked Kate, I'm curious about uh, those areas that might require most of your attention, what those projects might look, uh, might look like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we kind of started with two uh, two areas, Governor Dick, uh, also known as Mount Gretna, and then the Governor Stable, which was the continued efforts to open that private land. Uh, and then we rapidly expanded onto so many other areas that involved um, different county lands, uh, township, uh, state parks, and state forest land. Uh, but we, so we're happy that the pandemic is finally, it feels like everything is, is kind of on the upswing and we've been able to get back to our routine. Like we've really started to hit our stride at the beginning of, of the pandemic around, uh, 2019 and started to have a routine and then the pandemic really threw that off. So it feels like this year finally feels like we're kind of back under our feet and, and we're starting to get back into a routine. Um, the uh, one uh, we run two large fundraisers and competitions each year. One is at um, Governor Dick, or or also known as Mount Gretna, and that's like the largest fundraiser for that uh, county park. That is also under a deed of trust. And then we also run a, a large uh, bouldering competition and fundraiser to open the Governor Stable Boulders for private land, so we can pay for our lease and insurance to uh, to open that land each year. So that's, those are two of our, the lease is around 4k each year. And then our insurance is about 2k. So we roughly, yeah, it's roughly six to 7,000. And then uh, we always get like, uh, like all the comps, um, you know, help, help, uh, we help pay for the t-shirts. So uh, all, everybody gets t-shirts and burritos and all that stuff. So that's kind of like all included in the fundraiser. It's like an incentive, but it's also, we try to keep the cost down. Were those comps always in place to help pay these fees or were you, were you all paying these like out of, you know, an organizational budget of sorts or like, hey, we need an idea here to, to fundraise for these things or was that just always put in place the, from the get go? Yeah, um, yeah. So it kind of started with Governor Stable uh, back in the day because they would do an annual competition and then the boulders would then open the next day after raising the funds. Uh, and I believe David Cooper and Randy LaForce and a few other guys had, uh, I think, uh, Patrick Andrews had gone down to meet with the triple crown crew and kind of learned how they were running the bouldering, uh, fundraisers and competitions to adopt some of that, um, some of their strategies so that we could implement it here at governor stable. And, and then that's what we did. And the comp is run. Uh, I think we're on our 14th year now, uh, over, but over about like a 25 year period. 
So then we had uh, we have a bunch of other like little trad areas and a small um, uh, sport climbing area called Safe Harbor. That's uh, along an old rail rail to trail. Uh, Chickies Rock is kind of like the largest anticline on exposed anticline on the East Coast, I guess. Uh, and that's like a little trad area. Uh, so we've been caring for Chickies Rock. We've been doing graffiti cleanups there, uh, working with the land managers state forest michelle is a pretty large state forest in the the kind of the southwestern part of our our territory and uh we there's a bunch of different climbing areas there that we've been partnering with the state forest and they've been really happy uh with our support yeah so we're kind of like we keep expanding and we're, we're staying busy like we built try to build kiosks uh help out with the parking situations as as the uh population of climbers continues to grow anchor replacements work and um and then along with that is we're finally getting back to our uh gatherings at gyms and pine nights and that kind of stuff so it was Great. pretty cool how what what do, what do your demographics look like or numbers look like at your crags it sounds like you're kind of you know, you're kind of in between the philly pittsburgh maybe a little bit more rural yeah. what are the user numbers like by you guys yeah, I was yeah, gonna so, say, Chip. I bet you felt yeah. left out talking these big metro centers, but you're you're like the fourteenth largest city in in PA right there with Harrisburg. Uh, I mean, I guess so. I guess it, it's it, we're kind of we're small, right? Our community is really small, which has kind of been funny to do some outreach and building building that kind of stuff. And um, really, a lot of our climbers are coming from other cities, so. Like if we go down to the governor's stable or if we go to Chickies, people will be coming from Philly and Baltimore and D.C. We see a ton of uh, people traveling because it's only about an hour and a half to get to a lot of our crags. So there and there's a lot of diversity in our area. The, we have we have diabase, we have quartzite, we have well a variety, a couple of varieties of quartzite. And then as you start to get into the northern part, it starts to get into uh, some sandstone and gritstone uh quality rock so there's a there's a pretty pretty diverse um style of climbing at each of our areas but as far as numbers go i'm not sure <laughs> we, 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 de we definitely have a lot of uh, a lot of people but it's like a small community in pennsylvania you know i go and go out to east the eastern pa and definitely you know see a lot of the same friends or western pa you see start bumping into people everywhere you want to tell us some more about uh, your your ambassador program and how that got developed and what the ambassadors are responsible for? Yeah, sure. Um, Adam and I just decided to do the ambassador program because we felt like the previous boards that we were a part of uh, had all these titles that you know larger companies had, like larger nonprofits, and they they didn't really fit what we were doing because we were just climbers going into the woods and. Um, trying to make friends with the, the land managers and landowners and and uh, take care of the climbing areas. So we called. We just we just figured we would call them ambassadors. So these the ambassadors are primarily the the lead role uh, for the organization to to kind of build the connection with the land managers and um, just take care of the climbing area. And and they're kind of the the point person and then we have co-ambassadors and it ends up kind of becoming a committee so like for Chickie, chickies rock as an example we kind of have a chickies rock team uh with one point person that the the land managers 
can contact if they have an issue or a question or things like that. But then when we're doing cleanups and stuff uh, like that, we're going to collaborate and, and uh, get stuff done. So we kind of have these ambassador teams for, for each of our climbing areas. And that structure is really, it's really worked well because it, it kind of keeps the upper, like the executive board pretty light because uh, there aren't a lot of, like we're just, we're out there just kind of doing, doing stuff hands-on. Uh, we don't have as many office things to do. I guess that all falls on my plate, but <laughs> things like that. But um, yeah, so then, so we have ambassadors and then we also have uh, outreach and Jedi and our Jedi team that we have been continuing to uh, try to grow and, and build uh, and, and the outreach and Jedi teams are ambassadors as well, but their, um, their focus is kind of more on the community aspect and less, uh, not so, not so focused on one area. So they kind of like will organize events or um, give advice on, on ways that we can reach different, different communities and, and just kind of broaden our mission uh, on in many or on many fronts. As far for the Jedi team, are there any particular resources they, that they have found useful to make their work meaningful and and learn from? Yeah, you guys have been a, a really uh, helpful. Um, I would say the Access Fund, uh, SawPack, and EPAC. I know our our Jedi crew is well. We're now we have two volunteers as our Jedi team, and they've been going to PA uh, statewide meetings to learn more about what has worked with SALPAC and and EPAC to try to try to grow uh, what we're doing. And and um, really, we're just we're still uh, trying to break ground and and get get our feet under us and um, learn more about how we can how we can improve. Uh, just the organization as a whole like every, anybody that comes in to volunteer if they have a new idea we're like cool let's let's just see if we can bring it to fruition and and uh and build that yeah i think next month's episodes is going to be a really great resource in this and on this topic and in this field so we can all look forward to that one i won't let the cat out of the bag quite yet all right. Well, Joel, yeah, let's let's bring it home here and, and move over to southwest uh, Pennsylvania, closer to Pittsburgh. And um, this first question I have for you may be a little silly. You know, what's the latest going on? Um, I only say that because I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is. But uh, my understanding is that you all have experienced some closures recently, and that's probably what the latest is with you guys. I I read a little bit about it. I read the little announcement you guys had on the website, and I understand that it was due to a, a wildlife matter of sorts, but don't know too much else about it. Is there anything that you could share with us about this current state of affairs and how you all might be approaching it? I guess about a month ago now, maybe a little bit less, it's all a blur. Uh, we got notification of the what we believe is the largest closure in the history of the state, um, two specific state game lands. Um, and that uh, comprises maybe about 20 different climbing areas, including some of our most extensive and best climbing areas, uh, of which I would highlight Coles Cove, Lost Crag, Casparis, uh, and there are many others, actually. Um, and uh, the reason that was given was that uh, the devegetation that is associated with specific climbing practices uh, is a threat to threatened and endangered species habitats. 
Um, and the decision was made, uh, the, the, the potential issue was raised for us last fall. We had a meeting with the game commission in which it, uh, it was first brought to our attention. And, uh, it sounded at that time, like they really wanted to work with us, um, on a, a you know, mutual solution. But then we got notification about a month ago that, uh, the decision had just been made to, um, just flat out, uh, close, uh, not just one specific area, uh, which had been highlighted as an issue, but all of those areas. Um, so it's quite a, uh, it was quite a shock. Um, it's, uh, you know, very unpleasant <laughs> uh, that this has happened. Um, however, uh, we, what we've tried to do is to look at it as a, as an opportunity. Um, so uh, there's earlier examples where, uh, there had been an issue with a land manager or an owner, um, and there were previous times where there was an issue with the game commission, which provided an opportunity for us to come together, establish a relationship, and work together toward common aims. Um, and we are hoping that this is a similar this is a similar case. Um, we uh, have tried to use this as an opportunity to really ramp up uh, our uh, conservation education and demonstrating our commitment to conservation. We've always been a conservation group. It's written right into our uh, mission statement. Uh, we, you know, both uh, Ship and Kate mentioned graffiti cleanups and trail days, and that's all a part of what we've been doing since our founding on this side of the state as well. Um, but we uh, have tried to use this as an opportunity to think uh, more carefully about specific practices and also uh, voicing and demonstrating to land managers, particularly conservation land managers, that we our goals are the same and that we think it's possible to balance recreation and conservation. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Harmony uh, earlier. I think you were doing, you were giving us a, all the Leopold quote, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and we think that that is in fact uh, possible. Um, so we're trying to use this as a, as an opportunity, um, to strengthen our relationship with this particular land manager, the, the game commission, um, while we also educate ourselves. Um, so right now, uh, where we are is, uh, we are requesting some more specific information about the studies that uh, were used to come to this decision. It's a little bit of a complicated process because there are many state agencies um, involved, not just the Game Commission, but also uh, Fish and Boat, uh, the DCNR, which is our Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, and in fact, a couple of other um, agencies too. So um, right now we're in an information gathering uh, stage. Uh, we'd like to work together with the Game Commission on this. Uh, we have a cordial and open line of communication with the game commission, which we see as a positive. Um, but for now, uh, it, it is unfortunately the case that um, a number of those excellent climbing areas are uh, closed to climbing. When we were first notified of this, we met with uh, scientists who have worked together with climbing coalitions and um, the Access Fund, specifically on the threatened endangered species that are referenced. Um, about uh, some successful programs for balancing uh, climber activity um, and um, you know and preservation of habitat and you know that's uh, 
that's information uh, that we'd like to be able to work together with the game commission on. Um, and, you know, we, of course, when we were first notified, indicated that uh, we'd had those conversations and would love the opportunity to do it. Uh, I, the decision had already been made at that point, And so they went ahead with the announcement of the closure, but we're hopeful that uh, we can do that um, down the down the road um, we are also prepared uh you know unfortunately uh based on precedents in other states that this could be a a long you know a long protracted kind of uh project um and uh we're we're prepared for that and um thankfully we have uh an organizational structure in place uh to to go the long haul on that if that is necessary hopefully it won't be necessary um, but, you know, Kate mentioned earlier uh, setting up uh, setting up EPAC organizationally so that it lasts uh, beyond our time. Uh, I hope it doesn't take beyond my time, but um, that's that's part of uh, what, you know, what a, what a coalition is is there for. It's a it's a long view toward climber access. Right, exactly. And I got to tip my hat to you all. I think it's a very mature and intelligent approach to take this as a learning opportunity and, and work in, in partnership with them instead of marching down the streets with, with pitchforks and pig's heads on a stick, you know, just ready to burn the place down and, and get all riled up about it. But approaching it from this very diplomatic point of view will benefit you in the long run, I, I would think. Peter, I just have to second that um, because state game land does go all the way across Pennsylvania and some of our most treasured bouldering on in eastern Pennsylvania is also state game land. So I've really appreciated um, Joel and Swapak's like really level-headed, smart approach to handling this. Yeah, that's uh, another dimension to this. Is So it's just, uh, it's a couple of specific game lands that are in the southwestern region. Uh, it's not game lands statewide. Um but uh, yeah, how we how we approach this has an impact beyond those areas that fall within our purview at Swapak, um, and we've always tried to um, approach anything we do with uh, the Game Commission, which is statewide, DCNR, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, which is statewide, with an eye toward uh, what we do here could impact climbers elsewhere. Um, it's also why. You know, for this particular issue, uh, we've had uh, a lot of collaboration. We, you know, all the LCOs met on this uh, immediately following the announcement. Uh, the we got the announcement of the announcement. We got a like we got a heads up. Hey, this is coming, um, and the uh, LCOs uh, met across the state to talk strategy there uh, with the Access Fund. Uh, Mike Morin uh, from the Access Fund, Tamur, and others from the Access Fund were there. Um, and have been uh, instrumental in sharing their experience uh, from the perspective of the Access Fund. Um, and prior to this, uh, we have had uh, statewide collaboration across the LCOs in our talks with the with the DCNR, with the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources that administers state parks and state forests. Um, and uh, EPAC really took the lead on that. Um, uh, Kate and Dana as as well. Um, I'm going to butcher her name, Dana Caracciola. Do yeah, I, I don't, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I see her all the time and I am still never confident that I've got it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in terms of, uh, our LCOs collaborating, uh, to, to meet with DCNR folks on their climbing 
uh, policies. Uh, and that, that's been a very, very positive, very uh, favorable experience. Um, and I will say it's, it's been a little bit muted by the Game Commission announcement, but ironically, I got that call uh, that the closure was coming after having a very, very positive meeting with the DCNR related to a state park uh, climbing area. And it was a, it was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what to say. It was a, it was a real up and down kind of uh, day. <laughs> well, yeah, I find all this really interesting because from what I gathered, it seemed like this LCO was kind of born out of working with the game commission, maybe in the first place to have some of these game lands open year round. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I was actually, I, as I was preparing for this, I was like, when did we found? And I was like, I think it was like 2016. I looked at it. Was, I guess it's 2014. I, I kind of, the time has gone by very quickly. Um, but we were formed in 2014, uh, just to, you know, a group of people who are active developing climbing in Southwestern Pennsylvania. That was like our original model. If you're, if you're out, you're climbing, you're active in development, you sort of know what's going on with land managers and stuff, boom, you're on the board. That was like our original model. Um, and so we we had a coalition of those folks. And I, I can remember there being some discussion, like, do we really need a coalition? Like, we don't have any major issues right now. Like, do we need this coalition thing? And then very soon after we formed, there was an announcement for closures on game land statewide or a proposed set of closures that would have uh, lasted half the year, uh, closures to non-hunters. Um, and uh, we uh, immediately, you know, had we had now an infrastructure to spring into action to uh, start a letter writing campaign. And we partnered with a number of other uh, use you know user groups like Keystone Hikers and uh, other groups who use game lands for recreation, and uh, that initiative was successful at the time. It uh, opposed those uh, closures, and those closures uh, did not uh, happen. And you know, so we immediately had a you know a rationale for the coalition. Um, about a year after that, uh, we had an unfortunate uh, accident where a, a uh, somewhat legendary climber on this side of the state, anyway, Cal Swoger. He's of note uh, for having put up the you know some of the hardest, uh, scariest routes in at Seneca Rocks and uh, some of the you know hard trad lines at uh, the new back in the early to mid '80s. Uh, Cal passed away while we were all um, climbing uh, one day in in southwestern PA, um, and shortly after that, we got notification that. Everything on game game lands was uh, closed. Uh, you know, ship and uh, Kate. I don't know if you if I if we talked about that. It was like the what we were told was everything in the whole state is closed. And again, we you know we had a coalition in place. We you know uh, we reached out to the game commission and said what's going on. And it turned out it was really just a misunderstanding. And uh, very tragic event. Um, you know, really hit us all pretty hard. But at the same time, it was this catalyst for starting a closer relationship with the Game Commission. And we built on that relationship. And um, in uh, 2018, the uh, Game Commission gave us approval to do a major re-equip, uh, to re-equip old hardware at a sport climbing area on Game Commission land, which, you know, when, when we approached that, we didn't know what would happen. We got, uh, you know, full approval to, to do that. 
um, which was very exciting for us. And and we had uh, until this closure been you know building on a very uh, you know mostly you know pretty much hundred uh, percent positive relationship. Um, this this uh, new development is certainly uh, uh, what shall I say? It's a wrinkle <laughs> in that in that relationship. But we're hopeful that we can build upon uh, what we've what we've tried to build previously. Yeah, that's great. Well, good for you guys. Uh, I love it. And I love the holistic approach that you're taking here because you said this this can impact climbers elsewhere. I mean, outside of Pennsylvania and set a precedent for other places. So, yeah, approaching it with, with this thought in mind, I, I, I am confident you will see success out of this. Eventually, it's, it, could, it will take some time, I'm sure, but you'll eventually get there. I mentioned earlier that I interviewed Paul Garino with the uh, Ascend Climbing Gyms a couple of years ago about his role that gyms play slash are playing and helping curate good outdoor climbing stewards. Now, I'd love to hear kind of the flip side of that coming from the LCO side. And what's your perspective and, and uh, experience partnering with these indoor facilities and what that looks like and how you all support each other? Yeah, so all of the uh, all of the area climbing gyms have been very supportive of the coalition, um, you know, uh, things like running membership drives and putting our, you know, putting information about the coalitions out there for their uh, membership. Um, In the past, when we have, uh, when we, uh, we we ran our first public, uh, public elections for our board, but previously the board pretty much like elected itself. Um, But we, you know, we initially were like a membership of 30 with, 12 of those people on the board and now we're a membership of about 150 um, with 12 of those on the board and uh, you know that's a really a fraction of the climbing community in our area and we are you know looking forward to seeing some pretty significant growth in the in the size of the coalition moving forward which can only be beneficial for us in terms of the uh, influence that we might have um but uh, now I lost my train of thought as I was going on about how many how many members we have. What was I? <laughs> what in the world was I talking about, Peter? Um, <laughs> the gyms, uh, the, the gyms, and, and gyms. gyms. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So when we when we uh, ran uh, public elections, it was really important that we get the word out to the largest number of people uh, possible. That we didn't you know, limit the, the, the current board didn't limit itself to the, the network of uh, friends and associates that each of us had, um, in, in large part, because, uh, you know, that creates some, uh, you know, pretty narrow can create some pretty narrow demographics. Um, and the, the climbing gyms were uh, instrumental in us getting the word out, um, that way, uh, you know, they've, uh, been, uh, generous in uh, terms of uh, donating uh, money raised from fundraising events. Um, and we have, so uh, w- let's see, we've got, uh, as I mentioned, we've got two gyms that have been around for 25 years, another gym that's been around for, uh, I don't know, my as I said, my time gets compressed, but I think six or seven years, another gym that's been here two years, three years maybe, and one that just moved in and opened maybe a month and a half ago. Um, and we are uh, friendly with the leadership teams of each of those. Um, we have, uh, you know, we really look to, um, ship has done, uh, I don't mean just you ship, but, 
ship. Uh, <laughs> and uh, South Central PA Climbers have done a lot with the Jim to Crag education. Uh, we have disseminated information. Uh, we certainly try to, you know, put things out like really critical to wear, uh, you know, orange during hunting seasons in, you know, the state parks that uh, where hunting happens and in the game lands. Um, although, I mean, still wear orange if you go on game lands. You're not prohibited from going on game lands. Just don't climb on uh, our, our game lands in this region right now. Um, there are some game lands in our area that are still uh, open to climbing, by the way. Um, but uh, that's been a lot of our educational efforts. Um, we, we would really like to do some uh, more formal gym to crag uh, events partnering with the with the area climbing gyms that's probably the the biggest thing that uh is is on on our radar um i will say a couple of other um items so we are looking to uh there one of our board members uh started a um it's the uh, pittsburgh city schools climbing program um, and so, uh, students from the Pittsburgh city schools, uh, partner with a uh, local gym and, uh, to, um, have, you know, sponsored climbing events. And we are looking to, uh, see if there's a way in which we could, uh, bring that under SWAPAC auspices. Um, that's, uh, been stalled considerably by the pandemic, but, uh, you know, things look to be on the upswing. So, um, hopefully that will expedite that that project as well great yeah that sounds like an incredible resource for those students to have not sure if i've heard of i've heard of, of a program anywhere else like that so i think you guys got a lot of unique unique things going on that uh, will engage people in the, in the right way to be be future stewards and, and good climbers because um, i think that, you know just you can be a good climber but there's a way to be there's ways to be better climbers in my opinion so i really like what you guys have going on um, well, I, I know it's getting late for you all. You guys are on the East Coast uh, a couple hours ahead of me, so I'd like to put a bow on this thing and maybe throw out one more question for anyone to answer, all of you to answer and uh, respond to. But just any recommendations for how other regional LCOs can collaborate because the three of you seem to get along so well and your organizations get along so well and you make a great collective team to represent Pennsylvania. Well, I mean, we're all invested in each other's success. I mean, I think that's pretty important. Um, and, you know, I like probably even if it didn't benefit us directly, we would be invested in each other's success, but it does benefit us directly. You know, having uh, strong LCOs across the state, especially since we work with um, statewide agencies, uh, is really, really critical. Um so yeah, I mean that's, but I mean that's like fundamental to collaboration, right? Is identifying where the mutual interests are, uh, and then identifying the specific strategies to work toward those mutual interests. Yeah, I also think, um, yeah, trying not to double up on work. Um, both organizations have been so wonderful in, in sharing everything with us. Um, and we've really appreciated that. So just really looking for things we can share and not recreate. Um, I've definitely appreciated that. Um, it's also um, creating task forces across the LCOs um, is something we've done a little bit with, starting with the Jedi group 
And it's just, it's such an amazing experience, even just to have informal conversations on topics across the state, because there's so much to learn from each other. Yeah, and I would just piggyback off of that and just saying it's it's wonderful to just have um, have friends across the straight the state that you know share that same goal and know that you have somebody to lean on if if things really get um, difficult. Uh, you just have more people on your side and and friends to lean on if if we need it. So it's really cool. All right, thanks everyone for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.